It's nothing. I'm fine. Oh, sorry. My phone died. I've just come down with a really bad cold. You know, it must have gone into my spam folder. You look fantastic. Oh, definitely. Let's catch up. We all lie and we all do it a lot more than we think we actually do. And so in today's episode, it is all about the neuroscience of deception and lying. And especially when it comes to those fake positive lies, Sam, when you pretend to like something or someone more than you actually do. And most of all, the lies to ourselves and the research behind how much we rely is very, very interesting. It is. Everyone relies on the little white lie to get them through the day, but the frequency of which we lie to not only ourselves, but to other people is kind of astounding. So actually, Dr. Bella DePolo, psychologist at the University of Virginia, found in her research that both men and women lie in approximately one-fifth. What? One-fifth <laughs> of these social exchanges more than 10 minutes long. So every, every five conversations more than 10 minutes, you're probably going to lie according to this piece of research. That's that's insane. I feel bad. I, I'm like tracking through now like every interaction yeah. I've had literally to Dan. I'm like, mm, have I chucked a little porky there? Possibly. Possibly just drop one in there. Drop one in there. And even worse than that, over the course of a week, we deceive about 30% of the people we have one-to-one interactions with. So we really do all lie. We do. And it's also very uh, fascinating to look at the mediums by which we do lie. And work mm. is obviously one that comes to the flurry a lot. Zetsi, which is a career platform, basically surveyed a thousand people uh, in America and found that 96% of these people had lied as an excuse for not coming to work. What do you think, Sam, the number one excuse was that came from it? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm just, uh, I'm feeling sick. I'm really feeling not well today. Mate, I'm feeling sick was number one and yeah. it was hilar- well, hilarious, but in a bad way. 31% Man, of them had actually said that they had one of their like people passed away, someone close to them as a lie. So it's That's these horrible. extreme cases of lying that becomes really? very, very clear. And Sam, I'm reminded of a quote by Richard Feynman, favor- favor- famous and favorite Nobel Prize winning physicist who said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. And it's that self-deception that leads to the deception of others, which is what we're going to crack into today. Yeah, people really don't like going to work. People really don't like going to work is what I'm learning from this exchange. I think though, there are the white lies we tell other people, but Mm. the worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves. And there is a a real danger in the frequency which we lie to ourselves. Because the more we lie to ourselves, the more we shut down these brain areas, which actually prevent us from lying or stop us from lying because of negative effect. And we're about to get into that, but perhaps we should really talk about what is deception before we do. Yeah. And when going into this, deception and lying are often conflated. And yes, they basically are one and the same thing, but lying is actually a form of deception. And so mm. the, the technical definition, looking up Oxford's dictionary, says someone Basically, deception is someone acting to create a false belief in their victim to either maximize benefit for themselves or minimize the loss. And there's different genres of this deception, of which, as we said, lying is one. So there's five that I've got for you, Sam. Just want to see if you can relate to it. First one mm-hmm. is spoken untruth, right? So you're actually clearly saying something that's false. I a desk is orange when it's not orange. You are exaggerating the truth, which is I got 99% on this test. And this is a big one for a lot of people that want to put themselves in a bigger light. Um, Avoiding the truth, 
doubting the actual truth, you know, saying that this cannot be right, failing to actually see objective reality for it for what it is, and dishonest actions which are stealing. And as you said earlier, mate, the lies can be coined as quote unquote positive and negative by the downstream consequences on social behavior and the intention to deceive. And so when you go into the ethics where a lot of people have gone in, you know, philosophical uh, debates on is lying bad or good, and it's not as simple as that because of the situations that you can find yourself in. Mm, really strong word victim there when it comes to deception but that the distinction between how a lie is used how it's deployed is really important uh, because often when we lie for example to ourselves we're not doing so to hurt ourselves consciously yeah normally it's your point it's actually to protect ourselves um, and it's a protective mechanism. And so when we really dive into it, there is also an evolutionary basis for lying. Cause you know, you ask yourself like, where did this lying, when did lying start? How did homo sapiens develop this over the past 150,000 years? And there's a quote by this dude's name is crazy. All right. I'm going to mispronounce it. I'm sorry, but his name is Theodosis Dobansky. Okay. Perfect. That's pretty well done. I'm actually pretty impressed. Um, he, he said, nothing in biology makes sense except for in the light of evolution. And so the evolutionary argument for lying actually was first, or deception was came up in 1976 um, in the foreword, Sam, to uh, Richard Dawkins' famous book, The Selfish Gene. Worth a read. We'll read the first 30 pages and get the thing and then move on. Very boring after that. But the biologist Robert Trivers actually did uh, a novel explanation for deception. And he basically said this, we dupe ourselves in order to se- deceive others in order to create social advantages. And this is largely self-enhancement. You know, increasing your social status actually comes with a lot of mating benefits. Um, you're more desirable as a mate if you can do so and cooperative opportunities. And there was actually a study around this, mate, if I can tell you. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about how this plays out because we there's that, the adage of fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, fake it till you make it. And Obviously, the downstream consequences when you get found out are very different, but there was a study close to home, Australia, a a thousand Australian high school boys for two years. And the researchers found that over time, overconfidence, also coined as the Dunning-Kruger effect, I think I better than I actually am, about one's athleticism and intelligence first predicted neither better mental health nor better athletic or academic performance. It didn't actually do anything. Yet, here's the kicker. Athletic overconfidence did predict greater popularity over time, supporting the idea that some form of self-deception begets social advantage. And they hypothesized that intellectual self-enhancement may not have boosted popularity because they obviously suggest that teenage boys don't really care for smarts, um, obviously, as opposed to sports. So is that study effectively stating people who overestimated their athletic ability were more popular because that had a flow effect to how they interacted with their peers? Correct. How they interacted and how they were perceived amongst the social hierarchy. It's a, a unique way of looking at it because it ties into how lies can be useful in social contexts and where we use them in social bids um, as humans, as primates. And I am really, really interested in it because of this idea of why we lie to ourselves. I mean, we lie to ourselves probably more than we lie to almost anyone else. Where does that come from? And if you look at psychology in particular, we lie to ourselves predominantly to protect our ego. There's a principle in in psychology called cognitive dissonance. You've probably heard of it. I have, but 
Reaffirm for me, my friend. Oh, reaffirm. Yeah. Let's recover. Let's recap. We're reviewing while we're here. But cognitive dissonance is effectively where you believe something about yourself, about your identity, about who you are, and you act in a way that's not in accordance with that. So there's a dissonance between your behavior and your identity and how you perceive yourself. And what this causes is this uncomfortable tension within you because there is this dissonance. That uncomfortable tension, if we were to peek inside the brain, um, could be expressed as limbic friction. It could be expressed as the parts of our brains responsible for emotional processing and salience rubbing up against these parts of our brains responsible for our identity. But the important part of this is that social psychologists say we deceive ourselves often in an unconscious effort to boost self-esteem or to feel better. We're lying to ourselves to protect our ego is this protection mechanism. So in a way, self-deception, lying to yourself, can have benefits such as those that you've just described before um, in the evolutionary basis for lying and, and that really, really amazing study with 1,000 students. In fact, there's uh, Dr. Norton, who's a psychologist from Harvard, said you know, a little bit of self-deception isn't an unhealthy thing, but a lot is an extremely unhealthy thing. Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that lies tend to propagate and compound across time. And as mm. you said, what will start as what is a benevolent thing for yourself, normally, as we said, a protective mechanism to make ourselves feel better about adverse circumstances, more often than not, the more you actually start to believe in it, it becomes your reality. And that's when the philosophers will go, okay, well, who's reality? Where are you living? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. You, you end up in a, a fantasy world. You're delusional. And we, we all know those people. You've probably got some people in your life like that who have these self-aggrandizing, deluded opinions of, of who they are and who they might be because they've lied to themselves so much, but they actually believe it. Yeah. I'm reminded, what's coming to mind here? Do you, do you watch um, Australian Idol, American Idol a little bit or X Factor? A little bit, not too much, but yeah, a little, a little bit familiar. You know when like, people would pop up, and I know this is obviously for TV, but they oh, pop yes. up thinking that they are the best ever like they're so yeah. so good they've clearly had other people tell them this they've fed this lie that is perpetuated they rock up and their whole world is broken because they're told you suck and they haven't been prepared for it and so you know you either get through one of two circumstances there you try and continually justify it <laughs> or your world just breaks um which is obviously yep. not a great thing you know what i'm thinking about i'm thinking about the ones who receive that feedback from from kyle from the the main judges and then afterwards they get on camera and they say oh well, they're wrong they have no idea what they're talking about yeah, obviously they can't recognize really talent point. is that not the definition of this self-protection mechanism in play of their identity saying no there's no way this information could be true because if it was it would break down who i believe myself to be yeah it's a big thing right we're talking about identity right and that what underpins that is all the neurological mechanisms yeah, well, where in the brain does that happen? And I think that's a, an interesting thing we should definitely talk about a little bit. Yeah, it's it's weird to say this, but lying is actually really hard for the brain. <laughs> like that yeah. consistently came up. It's like it is yeah. so much easier from a cognitive perspective. We talk about cognitive load. So much easier, so much easier just literally to retrieve mm. what happened and then just say it. But lying involves so many different components of your brain, which is why it's known as quite a cognitively expensive task um and there's one example of this steve silverman in 2006 he's actually with wide magazine but he actually paired with a person called joy hirsch a neuroscientist and founder of columbia university's fmri research center and basically what he did through this 
more anecdotal study, but still controlled for the person, is they first did a baseline of brain activity by doing an fMRI scan. Again, scanning the brain for the different areas and the different patterns. And then what happened, I found perplexing, but also what would be interesting to do is see what the person was doing. But they he did an internal monologue, literally about his personal life, first recounting the specific things that were actually true before then going on to create an elaborate, and love this word, confabulation, recalling incidents that never happened. He'd literally just make stuff up. And what came from this particular study in isolation was scans showed increased activity when he was lying. When he was telling the truth, parts of the brain associated with emotion, conflict, cognitive control, they were actually inactive. But when he wasn't, when he was lying, they were on fire. They were firing on all cylinders. And it was like literally a red map that he saw. Well, so lying is harder for the brain, literally harder for the brain. So much harder for the brain because there was another paper that backed this up, Sam, that said it's the neurobiology of deception in 2009. And it's because they found that there's two distinct circuits. There's one that has to stop you from telling the truth. And there's the other one that is in the ideation, the formation and the execution of the lie. So I... Basically, you have to stop the truth and substitute it with another story. And this is backed up by Dr. Daniel Langelben, what a name, um, a psychiatrist at the University of Pennsylvania. And he basically just says, there is a neurophysical distinction between truth and deception. That's really, really cool. And I think worth adding to that as well is I was reading a piece of research that said, the other reason there's such a high cognitive demand from lying is that you actually have to keep that information in mind for future reference. You've got to remember the lie. (laughs) You actually do have to remember the lie. And like, if you really break this down, like into what's going on while you are actually creating this lie, like first, the frontal lobe, which is neocortex, we talk about the prefrontal cortex, is basically has to understand what truth is through all the observations, all the sensory input, and then has to suppress the truth. And the second part, which you will get to is the limbic system actually is firing because of the anxiety that comes with deception. We do feel that little angst when you do tell a lie or when you hear a lie. And that's the whole idea of the guilt that comes with it. But third, then you've got the temporal lobe, right? It's involved because it's responsible for retrieving the memories and creating the mental imagery that you've just spoken about. And then to add another bloody layer on top of it, you've got the anterior cingulate cortex, ACC, which is basically helpful in monitoring errors that are happening. And then you've got a bunch of stuff that's helping you to actually exhibit this behavior. And so it's no wonder you're sitting there being like, wow, pathological liars literally would have a hell of a lot of white matter because they'd have to have all these like literal con- connectivity that's happening in the brain because they've got to connect so many different parts as they go through. What When you were reading that, what actually went through your head? I'm really curious. What went through my head was then thinking about how like I've created lies when I was younger. Like, yeah. and, and you can tell that it does take time. Like when I would tell lies when I was younger, when I wanted something from mom or dad, I'd have to pause a little bit <laughs> and start creating it. And yeah. then it's really clear that like you're lying because <laughs> they're not very yeah. good at it. But then when I got to like, say when I was 15, 16, 17, I was, it was so much easier. Like I already had something pre-prepared when I was lying for a sickie or when I didn't want to just go to school or whatever it might be. What oh, about yeah, you? you start creating those lies in your head before you even tell them. You're rehearsing on the way to the nurse or on the way to your mom in the morning. Uh I think the interesting part for me is thinking about the fact that your pathological life, the one way negotiators and people in um, criminal inspectors and the like catch people who are lying is to see the hesitancy between Mm. how quickly they respond to a question. Because as you said, there's this entire process of confabulation in their head where they have to create the lie before they speak it. Whereas when you tell the truth, it comes out so much quicker. 
Yeah, and then you put the layer on top of those people. We talk about self-deception is that we just get – I think we just have a tendency to get so much better at it across time. We always get desensitized to repetition. the amount of lies that are going in. Repetition and practice. But not only that, there is some things happening neurologically that enable the desensitization of lying to happen and to make us more pathological liars the more we lie. And it comes back to that idea of, you know how you can get caught up in a web of lies? So it starts with a little white lie. Oh, I was sick today. And the next thing you know, someone asks you at work, oh, how are you feeling? You say, oh, yeah, I had a flu. And the next thing you know, you've told everyone in your workplace you had COVID and you've just recovered. <laughs> when really, you're watching Netflix at home. <laughs> you're just chilling. Oh, you're just God. chilling. And it's not entirely your fault. It's because of how our brain works when it comes to lying. So there was a fascinating recent study called Telling Small Lies Desensitizes Our Brain to the Associated Negative Emotions and May Encourage Us to Tell Bigger Lies in the Future. Well, that's a title. That's, a, that's title. a conclusion. That is a title. It's the whole, it was, you don't need to listen anymore. That's the whole thing. You just, <laughs> just give it to you. Uh, credit to Dr. Tally Sharrett at Al from University College London, uh, published in the Nature Neuroscience Journal 2016. The start of the title is How Lying Takes Our Brains Down a Slippery Slope, which I think is a really, really great intro. Yeah. How did they go about this particular study out of interest? So what they did is they brought a whole bunch of people into the lab and then they put them into this team game where they had to estimate how many pennies were in a jar. And if they got the answer right together, they were rewarded a certain amount of pennies. But if they estimated a different amount and lied to the other person, they were given more pennies. So there was a bit of an incentive there. Yeah. What happened was when people lied the first time, the first little lie about their estimation, the amygdala, which we've talked about before, is this emotional salience machine, tells us how much we should or shouldn't feel an emotion in response to a situation, was highly active. It produced this negative feeling that limits how much we want to lie. But this response actually declined with each subsequent lie that people uh-huh. told. And as the lies got, this even held up as the lies got bigger. So the researcher found, researchers found that these drops in amygdala activity predicted future lies. That's why they say lying is a slippery slope. The more you do it, the more you're actually desensitizing your brain to the negative feeling that prevents you from wanting to lie, making it easier to lie. That is like literally the definition of a slippery bloody slope. Slippery like when you think about slope. it, like that that feeling. Slippery like brain slope. It. Yeah, because yeah. we've all had that feeling, right? When you either feel you're being lied to or when you do tell that lie when you probably didn't even want to, but it was just a reflex. And there's that mm. warning signal. It's literally like your amygdala, the threat detector being like, hold on, blaring, don't do that, don't do that. And then yep. you're saying basically, Sam, that across time, practice basically makes perfect. Well, effectively, but practice also makes us desensitized to the, the bad feelings that come when we lie. So the checkpoint suddenly, system's gone. Yeah, exactly. The checkpoint system's gone, which is a really interesting thing to think about with how much we lie to ourselves and the frequency of our lives. Yeah. And to build upon that, the the study that came across my desk was a 2015 study with more than a thousand participants that looked at lying in volunteers in the Netherlands, aged six to 77. And basically what they found is, because again, we learn lying across time. Obviously, as you said, we get better and better. We get desensitized to it. Young adults are actually really good at this. When we're young, like children, we're not very good. 
18 to 29 is when we're at our best lying capabilities. And then after about the age of 45, we actually begin to lose this ability. And the reason or that is postulated as losing this ability is because lying actually requires, as we said, cognitive load, but the ability to hold conflicting pieces of information in your head across time. And so when we get older, we actually lose that ability. We're not as as good as that, which means we're not as good as lying as well. And so that just goes to reinforce the point that lying is this slippery slope, but then if we maintain these lies across time, 30, 40, 50, we're actually going to get worse and worse at it. So then getting found out becomes a fait complete. So if anything, that is massive motivation to get on top of our lying behaviors because not only do they compound and it becomes easier to lie the more frequently you lie, but we get worse at it over time. Totally agree with that. So to wrap up, we've covered a lot uh, in this section. We've talked about the evolutionary basis of lying, what deception is, why we lie to protect our ego, what happens in the brain uh, when we lie, and what happens when we lie to ourselves more frequently. Take a second now, if you want to remember any of this information, and just write down one or two things you learned that you think could be useful for you, because after the break, we'll come back with four brain tools to help you lie just a little bit less. It's time for your brain break. Now, if you are loving this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could do one thing for us. Send it to one or two people that you think that this episode is super relevant for and can help them level up their brains, whether that's a WhatsApp group, Slack channels, messages, emails, you name it, whatever's easiest for you. Send the love, send that brain love, and now we'll head on to the tools section of today's episode. So now we're coming to the brain tools section where we're aiming to give you four practical brain tools you can use to help with deception, with lying to yourself, self-deception. But I think it's really important that we contextualize those brain tools before we give them to you. Indeed, Sam. And it starts with Mark Twain. And Mark Twain said this, that if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. <laughs> I, so think it's, I think it's pretty so practical true. for Mark Twain yeah. because lies, as we've discussed in the previous part, is they negatively compound because they're actually like a hydra. And that's how people in history have described it, like a hydra, the, the mythical beast where you cut one head off and then two or three more actually appear. And then because there's so many unintended consequences that come with the lies, the people that you've got to manage, all the different things that you've said, that to maintain it, becomes so exhausting that you're eventually going to slip up. And so most of the literature that Sam and I have delved into suggests that self-deception and therefore deception of others isn't that problematic in the short term, right? That one or two times is okay because it's easy to recover, but almost always in the mid to long term, they can lead to social isolation, social ostracization, because at the end of the day, lying is not seen as a favorable trait. If I can't trust Mm. you, I don't want to spend time with you. And therefore the downstream consequences are, are pretty bad. So The focus of today's brain tools is to understand how you first might deceive yourself so that you can pause, you can consider the downstream consequences of deceiving others, particularly those that are close to you. Because the interesting part in all the research is that we are more likely to lie about serious things to people that are close to us, and we're more likely to lie about trivial things to those that we're not close to. And those relationships that we have with the people that we're close to are obviously very, very important for our well-being and everything that life is. Absolutely. And the person that we are closest to is ourself. And I think that sentiment applies equally to that section. So looking at brain tools for 
lying and deception. One of the problems is often we lie unconsciously. It's really this conscious process of what the lie contains and what it means. And what I mean by that is you you tell someone, oh, I'm feeling sick. Or you say, yeah, yeah, let's catch up. Let's have a beer. You don't really process that that's a lie. It just comes out of your mouth, slips out. And this is a problem because as we talked about before, lying, the frequency of how you often you lie compounds and makes it easier for you to lie in the future and also makes it more likely that you're going to lie to yourself or lie about bigger things. So the brain tool and the solution is before you lie, if you're in a situation where you can do this, write the lie down on a piece of paper and write why you're about to lie. Examine it. Why would you want to do this? Well, because we know, as we've talked about before in episodes where we talk about effect labeling, that when you write something down that has an emotional component, for example, writing down the lie, and then you write down the thinking behind why you're about to lie, it actually shifts the resourcing and the processing your brain away from these emotional areas, the amygdala being uh, the primary in, in that network to the language-based areas, uh, Broca's area, Wernick's areas, and also into the neocortex or the prefrontal cortex, these thinking parts of your brain. And when you move these resources away, it's much easier to actually step back and have a look at the lie and say, okay, I am about to lie to this person because I don't want to hurt their feelings, or I'm about to lie to this person because I'm uncomfortable with telling the truth. And in doing so, you can pause and stop yourself in the moment from telling that lie and building that compounding lie habit. So in, in essence, what you're trying to do is really leverage the executive, right? The prefrontal cortex, the place that's responsible 100%. for the lie in the first place, but also can actually remedy Absolutely. it is that same place. And so putting that down on paper is going to shift your attention to actually deciphering what's going on with it, as opposed to the reflex um, that comes with lies normally, where they're just instantaneous and they happen quite, quite naturally. I precisely, couldn't, literally couldn't have said it better myself. That is spot on. I should just give you my microphone. Just step back. You've got nah, this. We're better as that a was, duo, my friend. That was, we're that we're was, Kobe and Shaq. That was crisp. <laughs> that was Steph from the logo. Uh, NBA references left, right, and center. But yeah, exact, exactly that. You are really shifting the brain processing into the executive function, into that prefrontal cortex, just by this process of writing it down. Because writing it down requires you thinking of the language, getting the pen pencil out, examining your thought. So a couple of examples of how you could do this is say you're about to tell your boss, I'm feeling sick. You get a pen and pa paper out and write down, why am I about to tell my boss I'm feeling sick? Write out your answers. It's probably on the lines of, oh, I haven't done a piece of work or I just really don't feel like working today or I had a big weekend on the weekend and I can't deal with it. And then before you lie, now you can have a look at that a little bit more objectively with a clear head and say, well, maybe I shouldn't say this because this is not really the truth. And, and you have the opportunity to actually tell the truth. Makes a lot of sense. That's brain tool what, number one, right down the lie before you speak it, which mm -hmm. Sam, we've designed well to beeline into my second one, which is use a lie diary. To build upon what we said earlier with Bella Tapalo from the University of Virginia in her 1996 study where she basically got people to track their falsehoods. And so for those that sometimes might struggle in the moment to actually depict the lie and you know shift in the, the resources accordingly, it's okay sometimes to look at it retrospectively so that you can understand all the different patterns that sit behind all the falsehoods that you've had. Because in reality, if you ask someone, when do you lie? What do you lie about? 
where do you do it? How do you do it? They probably don't know because it hasn't come, as you said, Sam, to conscious thought. And so the solution is really clear here is the simple act of bringing lying to conscious awareness, but particularly across a longer time span, say maybe a couple of days or a week, it allows you to see all the different falsehoods and then create links between them. So you can really understand the root cause and answer the question, why on earth am I actually lying? It's a lie reflection practice. I I think that's a really great way to analyze your behavior because there's there's going to be patterns and links between why we lie and circumstances and environments in which they happen. And putting them down on paper and and retrospectively analyzing them is such a great way to, to bring it up. Can I ask, how would you go about that? Yeah, so I at the end of the, each day, again, you can choose your time horizon, but generally it's yeah. better to do it fresh while it's the day. Put in your calendar, five minutes for you to reflect and list the lies that you told yourself and other people. And it's really important when you get into that point, you said the word examine, which I totally agree with, is you want to understand what was the emotion I felt at the time? What environment was I in? Who was I actually with? Because we're more likely to lie to certain people, especially when it comes to social standing. Why you think you might've done it? And another one, which might seem very weird, but like whether you were hungry or not. Because again, if you're hungry, sometimes you're more likely to take the path of least resistance to move away from the situation. And then most specifically, what were the, the cues that led to you yourself telling that lie. And when you can understand the cue essentially of what someone said or the environment that you're in, you can then really dissect the root cause. And just to give you a few examples, Sam, like sometimes it's to enhance your social standing, which we've spoken about before. Sometimes it's because you want to avoid conflict. Maybe because you're much higher in the trait agreeableness where you just want to avoid conflict altogether. Sometimes it's because you want to avoid failure. I don't want to do this because I don't want to feel that failure. And or maybe, and this is a classic, where you feel like you've been unfairly done by the world, where you're like, I've been unfairly treated. It's your way of, you know, I suppose getting even with the world. And if you can start to just understand the patterns, then it allows you then to actually bring it to conscious awareness and then potentially even tell people about it so that you can move on. Like you had the example before, Sam, about work, someone putting a sickie. Maybe it's because you just hate your job, but you don't see the different Mm. patterns that are actually forming. And then there's comes a really clear solution to that problem. So it's almost as if documenting it all out allows you to connect dots between behaviors, intentions, and the lies you're putting out there. Yeah, 100%. And as we spoke about, the attentional spotlight is actually now being brought forth onto your lies, which means you're more likely to create that pause when faced with those circumstances, which comes to your point, mate, of writing it down in that moment so that you can pause and reflect. That's a a really great way to to map, map out your behaviors versus your intentions and to use the writing practice I talked about before, but actually on a a longer time horizon and analyze why you lie, where you lie and where those lies are coming from to help prevent those behaviors in the future. Yeah, you're spot on. And like one of those things, if you might be lacking maybe the want to look at your lies in the face, sometimes it's uh, a A useful thing to talk to the people around you that you're close Mm -hmm. to because I like, again, you speak to your parents, your parents know when you lie and what you lie about to be honest with you, but we never really have that conversation. So it might be worthwhile speaking to them, hey, when do you think I've lied? And so on to open up um, that discourse as well. Again, painful, but totally. it's uh, the way through was, the reality. I was about to say, couldn't imagine many things that are more uncomfortable than going and asking your parents, hey, so when am I a liar? When am I lied? What do you think? That's <laughs> <laughs> an ick. That's a serious ick. But it's one of those things where you, when you do confront these truths about yourself, ooh, how about that juxtaposition? It's so much easier to start to, to work through the, the causes and the reasons for why you do lie. So it's a great brain tool. 
100%. And it goes into brain tool number three as well, which is nudge before, not after. Um, yep. And this actually came from uh, Dan, Dan Ali. He was the guy that wrote Predictably Irrational, but it's called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And he looked into why people cheat, the behavioral economics and psychology behind it. And there's a study mm. that is, that's prevalent throughout the entire book um, that really brings into light why people cheat and under what circumstances they do cheat. And the experiment is going to make all math people, especially math people who hate math, um, cringe massively. But they went to solve as many number matrices as possible in a limited time. And what would happen is they get paid for each correct answer. And those who turned in their results, the experiment, right, they could turn it in, average four out of 20, getting it correct. However, in the second condition in which the subjects count up their correct answers, they shred their answer sheet and then they're to tell the experimenter in another room how many they got right. So they don't have to have a physical manifestation or evidence for what they've actually done. And they averaged six out of 20 a 10% increase. And so the effect held even when the amount paid per correct answer was increased. So you increase the incentives, but at $10 per correct answer, the amount of lying went slightly down. Now, the only reason I bring this up, Sam, as a bit of a frame is Ali basically suggests that lying is not a result of some sort of cost-benefit analysis you do in your head. Instead, it is, what we've been saying, a form of self-deception in which small lies allow us to dial up our self-image and still retain the perception of being an honest person, but whereas big lies do not. Mm, so it comes back to that self-protection mechanism concept we talked about before. 100%. Again, the social impact of your lies. And so what was interesting with this experiment is when he did it again, and he actually gave people nudges, and they were nudges before and after that particular experiment. And a nudge is just basically a behavioral intervention that they would do. And so a nudge to, to not cheat works better before than after. So if you are able to strengthen your moral compass or code before doing any particular situation or environment or game, you're less likely to be tempted to cheat and deceived as opposed to after the fact. So when you say a nudge in this situation, just for those who might not be familiar with Dan Ariely's work, what kind of things would be involved? Yeah. So a nudge, for example, could be you having to proclaim at the start that I'm an honest person. Yeah. As an example, right? I'm an honest person, or you would have to write that down on paper. And that's the one that he largely uses, which is basically self-suggestion um, in this. And I think that forms into what the action set is, especially if you've been using your lie diary and you've also been writing it down, is if you've identified the situations where you are, you are more likely to lie, before you do that, nudge yourself into creating the identity that you want, which is you might say, I promise not to lie, or you might actually sit down and review the negative consequences of lying, or you might look up case studies of people that have actually lied and then the consequences on them. But I think this is a real key thing to prime yourself because one of the things that Robert Cialdini, who author of Influence, has always said is consistency. People like to be consistent. And to your point earlier, Sam, you talked about cognitive dissonance. We want our actions and our identity and thoughts and beliefs to align. And when they don't, then trouble in paradise. I can't believe you mentioned Cialdini. I was just thinking about consistency bias as you were going through that. You've, uh, you've read my mind. But it's it's so true. If you say you're going to do something and then you come to that point in time and you've said, I'm not going to lie, suddenly lying creates that dissonance and that friction and is more painful than if you hadn't have said that in the first hand. 
Yeah, you're 100% right. So it's just making sure that you create that nudge once you obviously know the situation, right? You have to know yeah. those situations where you're more likely to cheat, lie, and so on. Um, but if you can do that, then you are nudging yourself in the right direction, which is telling the truth. Do you think you could do this on a more micro scale? For example, say you were going into an environment where you thought you might lie. Maybe you're going to work or you're going to a social circumstance where you could be giving some of those white lies and you could tell yourself in the Uber or on the way in the train. You know, today I, I'm not going to lie to people. I'm not going to be a person who lies. I wonder if that could be an intervention on a smaller yeah. scale. I think it could be because I think there's a start, well, not a startup now. It's a pretty yeah. big company with Laszlo Bock called Hum, Humo. Humo, Humo. Yeah, Humo, yeah. which is talks about it. And they send behavioral yeah. nudges, like it's emails and reminders. And some of those reminders could be, hey, big, like here are your values. Do not yeah. lie. It's just like all those different things and the frequency. So I actually totally agree with you, those micro nudges. Those micro nudges, but I think importantly, uh, as as in Dan Ariely's work in Cialdini, that has to come from yourself. It's got more impact if you proclaim something than if someone else tells you it about you. Hundred percent. Good, good, strong brain tool. So that's brain tool number three, which means we're on brain tool number four, and getting back into those moments where we do lie because they often happen, or you've got to lie burning a hole on the tip of your tongue and you can feel that tension in yourself of about to lie about something and you're about to experience some cognitive dissonance but rather than lean into that you avoid the friction in your brain and you mentally put it aside and say the lie and try to forget about it that happens all the time so here is a brain tool to help you interrupt that process it's really really simple all you have to do is stop and say, hold on, am I lying to myself about this? That's it. Hold on, am I lying to myself about this? Because as I talked about before in writing down why you're lying and examining it, and as you've referred to in the lie diary about really examining your lies over time, your behavior patterns, what, it, what it's doing is bringing that attentional spotlight onto the lie and rather than allowing it to be flow through from brain to tongue to lie out in the open, it's forcing you to engage parts of your brain that cognitively think about the lie and where it's coming from. And it's in a way, it's this process of interrupting the lie pattern and examining it for cognitive reflection. Yeah, it's that that's that pause, as you said, right? It's just that giving that time for you to um overcome, let's put it, the reflex and the path of least resistance. And as we said, there's the habituation of a lie. Like the more times you tell it, the easier it does become to do so. But that ability, yeah. as you said, to you know check your dissonance, actually feel that tension and just ask yourself a very simple question. Am I lying to myself? Can create that space. Absolutely. And it's this is one tool I have been using more and more recently when I noticed there I'm lying to myself about little things. You know, I tell myself I'm going to get up in the morning and go for a run at 6 a.m. and it's 12.30 at night and I'm still working. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So I actually check myself before I wreck myself um, because that's bad for your health. Chuck Hello, rapper. Me. Jesus. <laughs> Have you been watching the Eminem Super Bowl, time, like Super Bowl show and just going nuts on it? That's <laughs> uh, it's, it's iced tea, my friend. Uh, <laughs> and I'll ask myself, hang on, Sam. Is this a lie? Are you, am I lying to myself about this? And often the answer is yes. And so rather than setting up this expectation where I'm going to be lying to myself and not carrying out a certain behavior or deluding myself, I'm actually able to bring myself down to more of a truth about what I will do in that situation. And I find that's preventing some of those self-delusions for help from happening. 
makes a lot of sense. And those are, what, four brain tools to help when it comes to self-deception. Sammy, shall we go to the top and yes. recap? Let's wrap them up. Starting off with brain tool number one, if you're about to say a lie, you're about to tell a lie to someone, sit down, write down the lie before you speak it. Because in doing so, you're forcing that cognitive reflection. The act of writing is engaging the the motor processing parts of your brain and the prefrontal cortex, executive functioning. And as a result, you'll be able to think more clearly and examine the lie before you say it. And that beelines into brain tool number two, lie diary. A lot of the time, we don't necessarily know the lies that we tell across time. And so having a very clear document of all those lies, the circumstances that take place, and just that meaningful reflection with it means that you're more likely to make connections and understand the root cause of why am I lying to myself, which means moving forward, you're more likely to be able to control yourself in those situations and prevent the negative lies from happening. That's brain tool number two lie diary and i've got to come in mate we're going brain tool number three brain tool number three is nudge before not after the idea of a nudge is a behavioral intervention and a lot of the times we want to have an identity that is consistent with the actions that we take actually nudging yourself before situations and circumstances when you're more likely to lie is key it might be saying to yourself hey I am not going to lie today, or I promise not to lie. That commitment to yourself means that you're going to leverage consistency bias, which means we want to be consistent across time. And that means, again, less likely to lie. And it's all a probability equation. Brain tool number three, nudge before, not after. And if you are unable to nudge, if you're able, unable to write anything down and you find a lie on the tip of your tongue, try using brain tool number four, which is to check your dissonance and simply ask, hold on, am I lying about this? Am I lying to myself about this? Simply doing that in the moment and reflecting on it engages the parts of your brain responsible for cognitive reflection, shifts resources away from the amygdala and emotional processing and actually helps you to, in real time, interrupt the pattern and potentially prevent that lie from happening. And that's brain tool number four, check your dissonance. And Sam, as we wrap this up, what is your 80-20, your big takeaway for the week? My big one is we lie to ourselves because we're protecting our ego and identity. But if we reflect on lies, we can kill them and live better lives. Yep. I'm reminded of our good old Ray Dalio, which is pain Mm. plus reflection equals progress. Yep. What's your 80-20 for this week, my friend? And again, I'm just going Ray Dalio-centric. He's got one, which is dreams plus reality plus determination equals success. And that's Ray Dalio. And he talks about moving forward through life. That key kicker though is reality. It's vital you view reality as it is, not as you wish or want it to be. Because if you do, then essentially you're going to be making and building a world that doesn't exist in the real one. So focus on what's in the present and what you can control. Ray Dalio, the man has quotes. The man, the myth, the legend, literally, I clearly am a bit of a supporter of his. And that basically wraps up Brain Tools number 39, which is all about lying and self-deception. We hope that you've gotten a few practical things that you can actually leverage throughout your life to help you when it comes to not deceiving yourself and others. Sam, where can people find out more if they would like to? So if you uh, enjoyed the content today, one easy thing you could do is go check out Brain Tools on Instagram, Brain Tools Podcast uh, on LinkedIn. Both Kieran and I are quite active on there or soon to be on TikTok and some other video platforms. So wait out for those. Otherwise, uh, we'll be posting this as a short form episode and more episodes to come from here on out. Sounds like a plan. We'll see you next week. 